0: Hey everyone, James Labrie from Dream Theater and you're listening to or watching the podcast Talking Into Infinity with JT and Brian. Enjoy this. These guys are extremely informative. I love their dialogue. I love their interpretation of the songs, who and what we are, what we were going after. They're very uh, accurate. In their uh, interpretations and descriptions and uh, just i just think this is a great show and these guys are doing a, a stand-up stellar job so once again enjoy talking into infinity with jt and brian
1: What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Talking Into Infinity, a dream theater podcast. I am your host, John. We are live on Facebook, YouTube, TalkingIntoInfinity.com, and the CMSNetwork.com. We are live right here at those four locations every other thursday at 7 30 p.m eastern standard time if you are watching on youtube please do not forget to click those like and subscribe buttons and hit that notification bell so that you get notified every time we go live if you would like to find video replays of the show just go to our youtube channel or the youtube channel of the cms network and if you're looking for audio replays of the show just google talking into infinity podcast Without further ado, let me bring on my very good friend, my esteemed co-host, Mr. Brian Hendrickson. It's good to see you, man. We had a much-deserved show off, so it's been a month since we've done this. So it's it's good to be back and good to see you, man. I'm ready to talk some Van Halen tonight.
0: It was a bright, cold day in April, and the clocks were striking 13. Winston Smith, his chin nuzzled into his chest in an effort to escape the vile wind, slipped quickly through the glass doors of Victory Mansions, Though not quickly enough to prevent a swirl of gritty dust from entering along with him, I am super excited to talk about my favorite book of all time. Of course, George Bradbury's <laughs> Nineteen Eighty-Four. It's George
1: Orwell, you idiot!
0: Oh, sorry. Excuse me. I'm not that up wow. on science fiction stuff. So, way to uh, go. Have you ever actually read Nineteen Eighty-Four, the book?
1: I've I've read like three quarters of it. I'm actually listening to it on audiobook
0: as we speak. Okay, so, so I'm familiar. Fact, of course, we're talking about Van Halen's 1984, legendary album. Um, is there a lot of the type of the themes in the book in this album, or just not really at all? Do you think?
1: It's David Lee Roth. There could be any number <laughs> of different themes. <laughs> I mean, like, um, you know, I mean, I guess the theme of Big Brother. Yeah. You know, the Ted Templeman kind of trying to exert you know keep keep things under control during the making of the record maybe maybe that is kind of a representation uh some i guess you could make that analogy there but uh
0: okay you know well i'll goofing around aside man i'm I'm super pumped for this to show this is something you talked about for a while um being this is you know basically your musical hero i guess is the best way to put it uh-oh. That's exactly how to put it. Edward Van Halen. And uh, you know the, the the thing that struck me the most before we get into all this 1984 as a year for music. Oh my god.
1: Well, like, before you give your list, okay. I'm gonna toast Van Halen Let's and then I want it. you to give your list. So right. as I as I warned you before we went on the air, I'm gonna drink an entire bottle of Jack <laughs> right here on the air to start the show. So I've I've got I've got my entire bottle of Jack right here. <laughs> So there we go. It's right on camera. There it is.
0: So I've got a fine Chardonnay here. This is one of those super expensive wines where you give them like twenty, and you you're lucky if you get fifteen back. So let's. let's.
1: <laughs> yep. This is this Here's is buddy. not iced tea. This is not iced tea. By the way, Brian. This is actual Jack Daniel's. <laughs> okay. Well, this <laughs> so, is real wine too. So <laughs> there we go. Cheers, man. All right. So as you were saying. Oh, Jack is just not good. How do people drink that? Anyway, so, without,
0: without making me do the math, how old were you in 1984? I was eight years old. Okay. So, a little bit prior to probably full on rock and um, to all that kind of stuff, maybe just a little. So, I was 16, and this was literally the prime of like getting my first big stereo and like getting my albums, getting my cassettes. CDs were not really a thing yet. And you know what, you couldn't buy or afford, you you recorded off of friends, you know, sure, you know, either by album or cassette to cassette. So, 1984, Ride the Lightning,
1: gotta start there.
0: I mean, oh my god, Love at First Sting, great, I wanna, great Scorpions record. I want to say something about Love at First Sting. I think, and I don't know how to phrase this exactly, but I think Love at First Sting and Back in Black might be the two greatest rock albums of all time that don't have the word Van Halen associated with it.
1: Appetite for Destruction, I'm going to put in there.
0: Okay, I'll buy that. But let's say, like, Most Important, maybe even. Yes, that, that, like. that I would agree with. Yeah, and I think it's one of those albums that you just kind of forget about, and you're like, holy crap. Okay, so Last in Line. Okay. Yeah, we, we just, just saw yeah. they, saw that Dio documentary which maybe we could talk about that later at the end. Yeah. Ingve's um, first album Rising Force, we've that's that was our introduction, my introduction to Jeff Scott Soto. Yeah. What I consider to be Judas Priest's greatest uh, opus Defenders of the Faith. They were at their peak then. That it's just a giant molten slab of metal and hits on there. I mean every song is just a hit. Sure. Queen's uh, Queensrÿche The Warning.
1: Very power good. slave
0: iron maiden. I mean, this, <laughs> this is <all laughs> ridiculous or what? Like, god bless, man. You weren't kidding, <laughs> you no. Know, like, I just, I mean, I kind of had a feeling. Um, tooth and nail docking, I think. Wow,
1: okay, another one,
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, the one that really put them on the map, right? Um, Triumph Thunder Seven, uh, an underrated album, in my opinion. I, I don't know, you're probably not that much of a Triumph fan, but uh. Uh, the debut of one of my favorite bands that never gets any credit, TNT, Knights of the New Thunder. Love that album. Okay. I'll, I'll try to speed up here. Perfect Strangers, Deep Purple. I think the last good album that they ever did. I mean, they put out an album every three years now This just sounds like old Deep Purple, you know? <laughs> okay. Uh, Kiss Animalize, which I would argue is probably my favorite of the non makeup albums. Okay. You know end on those. That's a, that's a good record. Uh, one of my favorite bands that no one cares about, Autograph, Sign In, Please. I loved all the synth stuff on that. the one I had, Turn Up the Radio. Okay. Rush Grace Under Pressure, and we'll finish up with De- uh, Metal Church debut. Loved it. And Rat, of course, Out of the Cellar. Oh, I mean, that's, that's a great that's record. It's like just a ridiculous, like five of the best albums of (laughs) arguably the of those bands on there i mean 1984 like what what was in the air what was in the water what was going on and i don't i don't know
1: a lot of cocaine
0: (laughs) (laughs) i guess um
1: yeah i mean dude it's funny like you know my wife and i always talk about the fact we're like man we were born a decade too late and you know i would have been 18 in 1984 like what an age to be you know with all that stuff coming out could you imagine so i mean all that stuff is just so solid and i think i think it was like you know you're a few years into the 80s so that vibe is kind of taken over it's it's you know it's the, the party decade and you know sex drugs and rock and roll and everyone was just kind of going for it and i think you can kind of see that in a lot of the music coming out in that decade and like you said you know 1984 specifically which you know we're going to get into here tonight uh god damn i mean it, i mean we, We've done the shows before, where, you know, we're like, okay, it's it's such and such a year when Dream Theater put a record out. You can't have Dream Theater. What records are you picking instead? And there's going to be a few years where it's like a barren landscape of things to choose from. If we had to do 1984, holy crap! <laughs> it'd, be like, it'd be like, okay, what do I leave off the list? It would be it would be really tough, man. So, um, yeah, super creative year, and uh, the perfect landscape for. You know the 1984 record that we're gonna dig into um, so show note I, I may do a separate broadcast after this um, I was trying to I was trying to see if I could upload a video that I made uh, two years ago to the day it was um, man I'll never forget where I was two years ago today. obviously for those of you who don't know, uh, today's the two year anniversary of Eddie Van Halen passing. And I was at work and this is our busy season. we're just absolutely slammed. And I had uh, had my phone in my desk, so I was uh, I was ignoring it because we had so much going on. And it was about 4:15 and I opened my desk door ch- take a look at my phone and i see i have 48 missed text messages i'm like what the hell so i open it up and the first word that pops up in like the preview is eddie and the next one eddie i went oh oh no 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 so sure enough i google eddie van halen and first thing pops up eddie van halen dead at 65 and i was just like oh my god so i had a hard time responding to all the text messages i was getting phone calls i you know, for those of you guys that don't know, like I love Dream Theater, but they are my second favorite band. Van Halen to me is religion and Eddie Van Halen specifically, as Brian said, he is my hero. And anybody who knows me really well, the joke is John doesn't like anything unless it starts with Van and ends with theater. So <laughs> that's how much I love Van Halen and Dream Theater. But I, I, so many people were asking me to talk and stuff like that and do, uh, you know, just like how you feeling, like what are you thinking and um, man, I, I just couldn't catch up with it. So I went on Facebook and I did a live video and it's like 28 minutes long or something. I just poured my heart out, all my stories and how I was feeling. It's pretty weepy, not going to lie. And I downloaded it to play on the show, but it's the files too large to play. So I think I might do, um, a broadcast after this and just play that for anybody that wants to see that. Cause I have had some messages and emails like, Hey man, what are you thinking about? You know, Eddie's passing today. So. I was gonna do it at the end of this show, but it's too big to play. But uh, yeah, Eddie Van Halen is the roadmap to everything, where I'm concerned. So this is an episode I've really been looking forward to. I wish it was under better circumstances. Obviously, um, you know, today is a day that's never not gonna suck. I I was talking to my guitar players today, and I said, uh, "Happy! It should have been Ted Nugent Day." <laughs> Because I absolutely hate Ted Nugent. I'm like, how is the world fair when Eddie Van Halen's gone, but Ted Nugent is still here spewing his bullshit? (laughs) So, um, try to make light of things there. But yeah, um, I've really been looking forward to this, Brian, because this is, you know, not only a fantastic record, but I think it's, you know, I, I think creatively this might be Eddie Van Halen's peak. And I, I do have the slight, that slight preference for, um, the Sammy Hagar stuff but that being said I, I think when you really dig into 1984 especially the circumstances behind it I think it might be Eddie Van Halen's uh, Eddie Van Halen's creative peak in a way and that's not saying everything else sucked it's just saying that this is just at a level he was he had never been to and probably didn't quite achieve after how, how do you feel about that
0: yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I, I was curious where you, you know, I know you're always like, I don't think I can rank the Van Halen <laughs> albums. Yeah. but uh, uh, Creative peak. Yeah. I mean, this is when, you know, their sound kind of, well, obviously when Sammy came in, it, it evolved and changed too, but I just think the adding of the keyboards and being a keyboard player, I'm always going to probably say that, but I just love the keyboards on this album. I think they just add so much. It was a much needed thing and it's not done in a like, Hey, we're chasing new wave or something like that type of a way. I don't think at all. It's just like, Hey, these, I can play keyboards. I can come with some killer ways to fill these songs out and just some awesome progressions and some great sounds. And I, I just think it adds so much to their uh, you know, to their entire thing. And and like, I, I I really feel like it's a culmination of, I, I don't know how much, you know, more of like the inner turmoil was while this was being recorded or if most of that was like after but the performances on this are just just amazing man i mean the the drums like i've i've long been on record that eddie van halen's guitar alone does not make up this band you have to have alex's drumming and you have to have that splashy kind of hi-hat thing he gets the cymbals are everywhere the symbols are like i had a remastered version i was listening to and you're like man there's so many symbols going on yeah but 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 they they need to be there because that's part of their sound like that and the and the super awesome you know courses with the, the harmonies and the gang vocals with you know alex and eddie and uh and um michael michael rather and eddie and it's just like i don't know man it's a band that's I'm glad they went out this way with that lineup. you know what I mean rather than yeah. diver down like I just i've I've had a new appreciation for some of those the not quote b sides but at least not the cover stuff or the more obscure stuff on diver down. but I'm glad they did not go out on that note <laughs> <You know? laughs> right I mean like this is just I don't know man this listening back to this again, I was just like especially the stuff that doesn't get played on the radio or the, the non hits on this are just incredible.
1: Yeah, I I think this has some uh, some of the most underrated stuff that they have ever done. Personally, um, it, you know the, the album hallmarks are obviously Jump Panama and Hot for Teacher, but you know it's amazing how good the rest of the stuff on the record is, and it, it to me it's almost like if you put most of the rest of the record if not all the record on some of the previous ones they would be hits themselves so i mean it's it, it's unbelievable how good this is and this was a blast for me to dig into this record again cuz i've been listening to it you know like crazy the last couple days because obviously i know it front and back this is literally the most influential record of my life this that's why we're talking about it um you know and I'll, I'll tell van halen stories later after we dig in um but that having been said, it's still, you know, knowing it like I do, digging back into it, there's so many things that you don't really notice unless you're really digging in to hear them. And I think this is the most sophisticated David Lee Roth record for sure. And, it, you know, we'll, we'll get to that as we dig into it song by song. But yet yeah, this is you know and you're what like seven eight years older than i am so if i was eight were what like 15 something like that in 1984
0: 16 at the very end december so
1: okay so um by the way guys if you want to be a part of the show just jump in the chat give us your thoughts throw any questions out there uh we are live on facebook and youtube so feel free to jump in and be a part of the show with us um what would Was this your introduction to Van Halen, or had you already kind of listened to the previous five records? Were you aware of them? Were you a fan? And I asked that for a specific reason.
0: No. I got introduced, I guess, at 14, so roughly two to three years earlier. Okay. Um, The first album, uh, my cousin had it. And I think I told the story before he had the, his headphones on listening on this giant, those giant console things that were like 10 (laughs) feet long, you know, with the record, he had the headphones in there and he's like, Oh, Jamie's crying. And I'm like, what the heck are you listening to? And he put it on and I heard his guitar going, where I'm like, I never heard a guitar or anything do anything like that before. You know, that was crazy and uh so you know big fan of the first album and um, then when i joined the columbia record and tape club uh one of the albums i got was um i'm drawing a blank now unchained fair, fair warning. warning sorry senior moment there um yeah fair warning i just at that beginning for, for me you know the beginning of mean street uh it's just like oh my god this is <laughs> yeah you know, dirty movies i mean everything on there was so so damn good. So I was a huge fan. And then like I and then like I said, and then Diver Down came out and I'm like, What what is this? <laughs> it's like, yeah. I was like, I don't want to hear them singing Pretty Woman. That's pretty stupid. And I, I really <laughs> never listened to anything else on on that album, honestly, until probably later. But uh yeah, I remember the first time I heard jump, I was like, Wait, they got keyboards now? <laughs> <just Yeah>. like, <laughs> I thought it sounded awesome. But uh you know, we'll we'll get into the songs too, but But yeah, I mean, I, it definitely was, I understand you're saying, I think it was a very mature David Lee Roth, which is funny because I guess the band probably didn't think he was so mature, which is why, you know, he ended up leaving and everything, but yeah, their performances on this are just, so did Ted, let me ask you a question. Ted Templeman, did he produce any of the Sammy stuff or was he strictly the DLR?
1: No, it was strictly the DLR stuff. Um, He did help at the end of For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge because they were working with Andy Johns, who did all that Zeppelin stuff. And Andy was such a disaster. Like, him and Eddie Van Halen were basically just drinking buddies. So, Sammy Hagar called Ted Templeman to come in and kind of like get him, you know, drag him across the finish line. So, he did help with one of the Sammy records, but that was the extent of his involvement with those. Um, yeah, he, I, I know that, you know, Ted Templeman's book is really good if you haven't read it. I actually re- listened back to the chapter about 1984 today. And, uh, man, it was, I'm telling you, like, I, I read anything and everything I possibly can about Van Halen. And that, some of the, some of the stuff that Ted Templeman was talking about uh, in relation to the making of this record was just, you know, I don't know how this record even got made. So, um yeah it's you know it's it's crazy man so why don't we dig into this you know we'll go track by track uh, we'll start right there with the intro track it's short but I think it, it it's worth talking about for a second because it's always fascinated me as I've come to know the band and their fans more and more as the years have gone by I really wonder what the initial reaction was when people are you know coming off a diver down which is you know granted it's you know cover heavy but i i don't know how many people knew that at the time because there wasn't like blabbermouth and google and all that to find that out um you know and they're you know fair warning and van halen 2 and all this stuff and all of a sudden you know they they run out to grab the new van halen record and it's this synthesizer thing and i was like you know i know when i first heard it when i was eight years old like i saw van on the cover and i thought oh man like van ludwig van beethoven this crap my dad listens to i hate music like i but i had nothing else to do and when it came on and the, and i heard the synthesizer intro i was like this is like that Mannheim steamroller stuff like all right i guess this is kind of cool so
0: Mannheim steamroller reference i didn't think we'd get that on here yeah oh,
1: one of the one of the few things i know that's a little bit cultured that's uh, awesome. but um yeah. I mean, what was your reaction when you first heard like a, like a, this weird keyboard intro? Cause you know, it's Van Halen. I mean, you're, you're expecting roaring guitars just pounding drums and you get this synth track for a minute, minute and a half, you know what? So what was your reaction to this?
0: I thought it was sweet as hell. It's like, especially being a keyboard player mm-hmm. and uh that was the year that my dad bought me my first synthesizer also, um, 84. Yeah. And, uh, it, it really reminded me of Rush, to be honest, kind of how they use since, you know, just sort of to fill things up and stuff. And uh, being a huge Rush fan, I was like, man, they're, these guys are like, <laughs> they're like really getting like nerdy now or something, you know, I don't know if that's the word right. I'd use, but, but yeah, I thought it was really cool. I mean, then kind of listening back now hearing it, it's like, I don't know, it's something that I guess anyone could probably go program in five seconds now, but it's kind of easy saying that in hindsight, you know? Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 just a cool way to, to segue into jump, I guess. And I don't know, it it sort of just signals, like you said, that this is not going to be a normal Van Halen album. Yeah. Right off
1: of yeah, I I just always thought it was a really interesting choice to open up with that. And I think, you know, for me, the Van the nineteen eighty four record is a statement of intent by Eddie Van Halen on all levels. And I think opening up with a synth track, is him going, "Fuck you! I'm gonna do the record I want to do, how I want to do it." You know, it's you, you don't have your eruption, your Spanish fly, cathedral stuff like that. You know, the the tapping intro to Mean Streets. It's 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 this you know ambient, atmospheric kind of ethereal keyboard intro, and you're like, "What the hell?" But like you said, it is a it's a great lead into Jump, which you know again it's a song that i wonder about you know hardcore fans of the first five records they hear the synth intro and then all of a sudden jump kicks in and they hear more keyboards and they're going what the hell is going on here (laughs) like that had to have been something that was really jarring i mean how do you think it was received
0: i yeah i honestly don't know because you know i wasn't i mean as much as i liked van halen and i wasn't you know 26 years old and been there since 77 you know you know, seeing them live and, you know, that the 17-year-olds or 18-year-olds were then or whatever. Um, so I'm I'm curious. I mean, I'm guessing probably wasn't all that well, well received. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the thing only went on to sell 8 zillion albums, you know. So I'm guessing the hardcore bands still were plenty on board. I mean, because once you finally get to the guitar solo, you're like, oh, yeah, this is that's Van Halen, all right, you know.
1: Yeah. Well, and that that's one of the things that I noticed about it is, i i imagine the hardcore fans going what what the hell you know i mean the I, I if i'm if i've got my timeline down i think i think they released jump like three weeks before the album hit so people had heard jump so they knew it was coming but you yep. you know it, for them to hear keyboards in a van halen song it's got to be like what is going on but then the guitar solo comes in and they're like oh there it is like it's almost like a you know that sigh of relief that we're not just getting eddie van halen playing keyboards for you know an entire record and it, it, it's funny because the the song that Ted Templeman harps on the most in his book is Jump and he talks about the fact that he was not into it it just didn't ever grab him and then you know even after the record was out and everything he's like yeah it's, you know to this day still I'm not the biggest fan of Jump and to me that's just that is completely ridiculous I don't I don't understand i mean he, he talks about the fact that he was waiting for that monstrous roaring van halen everyone had come to know and love but jump is an undeniable song i mean how 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 you can't just tap your feet and get into that and just you know groove to it i don't understand i mean you got to have a really biased sort of outlook towards the rest of the van halen catalog to say yeah jump there, nah. <laughs> like
0: I, you know. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's I can see both sides of it because if you really just isolate it and you just listen to that keyboard going down, down, da, down, da, we already know and love it. But then it's like, you know, if you're used to everything else and you just isolate and that's all you hear, you're probably like, this is this is silly. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. I'm trying okay. to be a, a devil's advocate here. You know what I mean? Okay. All right. Like, like I don't know, just like just an L, and then Dave's like jumping off of the riser, you know, doing his splits and literally jumping and all this, and that. I I don't know, like, well I, I don't know if there's any truth. The song used to be called Leap, but they they like that just didn't sound oh, here good we lyrically. go here we go. <laughs> it was it was no, spring, but, but <laughs> hop, <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> might as well hop. And sure. backing <laughs> backing vocals are very bored. Hop,
0: <laughs> no, but like. In all seriousness, so can you think of another song that does what this does, which is the outro ends up being on uh, top, standing on top of the world? Like, can you? I'm trying to think of any other band that did something like that. That actually, you know, I'm not going to count Metallica doing 17 Unforgivens." <laughs> right. I had like a, I had one other. Well, I was thinking like Mindcrime because they did Mindcrime too, but that that doesn't make any sense either.
1: Yeah, I, I can't really think of one. And I mean, the most interesting thing about that is, you know, he does the riff literally one time through. Yeah. I mean, the guitar part that rides out jump is din, 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 dans, dan. and one Wait. time it goes din, 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 yep. dun, fan, so, and so it's literally once and he ended up building, you know, the whole riff for Top of the World, you know, closing track on for Unlawful carnal Knowledge out of it. So, yeah.
0: So I think Camel- the, closest, the closest I came to honestly was, uh, sorry to interrupt you there, it was actually no, bon, was Bon Jovi. It's my life. They do sort of the callback to this one's for Tommy and Gina, who never look back or whatever. It's kind of a callback to living on a prayer, but it's really like lyrically. Oh, okay. You know, and, but in the musically, it's a, it's, I think, I can't remember if they almost do a, a bit of the progression there, but yeah, there's literally, I've never heard this done like this where, and like you said, it's only one. One small section, and boom, we got another song out. So I think it's really co- cool and unique in that sense.
1: Yeah. So Kale McLeish says we we're talking about uh, the intros. He says you say that, but Intruder, and there was an instrumental intro on Fair Warning too. No, I mean you're right. And, and Kale, but the thing of it is, though, we're talking about the fact that, you know, with Jump and with 1984 specifically, Jump, it was really poppy. It was very different. Uh, Intruder was kind of kind of menacing a little bit and when you're you're talking about an instrumental intro on fair warning if you're talking about the tapping part going into mean streets i mean that's just a guitar thing but i mean or if if you're talking about um sunday afternoon in the park that's just down and dirty uh so that's that's different this was you know those were still in the van halen vibe that was still in the realm of what people were expecting this you know, jump and, and the the intro synth track, 1984, were not that. So, um, but yeah, and have you ever gone on YouTube and listened to the actual? There, there's a, a a long interview with Eddie Van Halen out there that um, he's actually playing this in the background. You can hear him working on it, like he's like, "Oh, I just worked this up, and it's all the the little parts to jump." It's man, it's cool, and it, it's interesting because some some of the stuff like in the in the bridge that he does on this song, those chords are weird. And to your point about Alex Van Halen, you know, under the solo, it's like, ga-ga-ga-ga, He's doing all this wonky stuff. And it always makes me think of something that Sammy Hagar said in his autobiography, which I highly recommend if you guys haven't read it. It's one of the best yeah. au- mus- musician autobiographies I've ever read. Um, yeah. He says that Alex wasn't as cool of a drummer after he got sober, he said when he was drunk he'd do all these weird fills and weird like stuff like that. And he said it was really cool. And I think that's on full display here on 1984 because he does some crazy stuff. And his right hand is really working over time on a lot of material, but you you get that right away in the bridge and the you know the solo section of Jump. And I I think that's what kind of grounds the song in that okay this is still a Van Halen record because. You've got that poppy keyboard riff, but then you do have Eddie's, you know, guitar solo. Then you've got, like, a keyboard solo. So if you got, you know, Alex Van Halen doing some crazy drum stuff. So I, I just think it's it's a fantastic song that's so well put together. And it's like, okay, yeah, we're doing something different, but don't worry, it's still Van Halen. Like,
0: Well, correct me if I'm wrong, too. Didn't Alex Van Halen, wasn't he similar to Eddie in that he custom-made almost all of his, like, his drum setups and heads and everything?
1: I don't know. I don't know. The the setups he kind of worked with. I don't I don't know about the heads and stuff, but, um, I mean on this on this record, I mean he was using electronic drums. He was using a Simmons kit.
0: Oh, was he? Yeah, that's that's what
1: Ted Templeman said. And it was because, you know, this was when fifty fifty one fifty had just been finished, and they couldn't they couldn't get like a natural drum sound because the room was just too small at the time so to you know keep things from bleeding and stuff they he worked up a simmons kit so you know all right here we go yep so our t-bone drum covers good to see you man our buddy tommy uh he says hey guys there's a video on youtube where someone removed the guitar from jump and it's just the keyboard it's the weirdest effing thing i've ever heard yeah dude it's everyone that thinks it's like this simple little poppy thing but eddie plays some really wonky stuff in here it's really cool. So if you guys haven't seen that, definitely go check that out. Um, all right, man. Well, let's get into where the record really kicks in and people kind of breathe that sigh of relief and go, oh, my God, this is a Van Halen record. Uh, a song that Eddie Van Halen said he was trying to do his version of an ACDC song, uh, Panama. I, I, I don't know about you, Brian. Have you ever heard an, an ACDC song kick as much ass as Panama? I haven't. <laughs>
0: You know what's funny though? I immediately think of shoot to thrill almost. It's it has a little bit of that vibe. It's like shoot to thrill on asset and speed, I think. Okay. But, uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I can see that vibe. Yeah, in Panama, man. What a well let's talk too about so nobody really knew I don't remember, was there videos for Pretty Woman?
1: There was that was the only one. They had had like promotional videos. I mean, if you look it up online, but in terms of like MTV the the first right. one that people really knew them by was that really crazy one uh that it was they it was it was like basically like a concept video uh for pretty woman where they were each a different character and stuff
0: okay yeah but so it's like when you finally get to jump in panama you actually kind of get to see them even though they're not really playing you know but you actually get to see Eddie playing and those guys all playing and yeah. that's no one had, unless you've ever seen him live You know, it's not like nowadays where you just go on YouTube, everyone's got a concert, but unless you'd seen them in a concert, like you never really saw them before. And uh, I think the videos, you know, if it wasn't for MTV, I don't know how big this, you know, this album probably would have sold 3 million. I don't know if it would have sold, was it five it's at now? Or is it even more than that? I'm not sure.
1: 1984? Yes. Oh, my God. Do your research, dude. It's Diamond Plus. The oh, okay. David Lee Roth, the David Lee Roth there is is bookended with Diamond Records. Van Halen won in
0: 1984. That's ten. <laughs> yes. Okay. i I've how never. I,
1: how do I know something more than you know? You, I don't you know. Really I never, never in the heard industry?
0: that poor, platinum. So. <laughs> wow. Okay. The only right. album I ever made was triple plywood. So. <laughs> nice. One copy. Oh,
1: JG 3s checking in. Says, "What's up, guys? Good to see you, Jay. And and not at the end of the show this time. Very nice." <laughs> He says, hey, Van Halen, they're pretty good. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, you know, they're, they're I right. OK, so
0: um, back to my point. So ten million without video. What do you think? Six? I don't know.
1: Because uh, that yeah. was just such
0: a driver in album sales in those days. We know that. So that's not that's undeniable. <laughs> I, I think I think that's fair because I know that,
1: you know, and honestly, I I had the experience myself you know I, I discovered music because of Van Halen really um, and I absolutely devoured this album and Panama was when I like I discovered electric guitar I went because when I heard the solo to jump, I was like, what what is that? Oh my god, what is that sound And then when Panama kicks in and it's nothing but that sound I was like I mean my head just exploded. So I was just addicted to you know Eddie van Halen and his guitar playing. And when we turn, we had just gotten cable a couple months later and we turn it on and I turn on MTV cause I, all my friends had it and they were saying, oh, the videos are cool to set and the other. And honest to God, the very first video that pops up when I turn on MTV is frickin' Panama and the, you know, the biplane comes flying in and then right. the band starts playing and I, I see Eddie Van Halen and I'm going, that's what he looks like. And I saw like the, 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 the Frankenstrat guitar. I was like, oh my God so like I loved I loved the music before that but then when I actually saw what they were doing what they looked like I'm like this is the coolest fucking thing I have ever seen in my life <laughs> so yeah I I think your point is an astute one man I, I mean I, I mean the the album is strong enough to still sell a shitload of copies but I definitely think that MTV played a large role in in that you know especially you know uh, our buddy uh, Joseph Friend Discuss Metal Joe he says, "Jump had a video before Panama, right?" Yes, it was uh, Jump, then Panama, then Hot for Teacher, and those videos are all great. I mean, you still go back and watch them, especially by the time you get to Hot for Teacher, and you know the whole like you know Waldo getting on the bus and all that stuff. Like, um, you know, all right. Wolf Wolf of Nature says, "Mispronouncing Panama is driving me nuts." That's you, isn't it? You dickhead. No, it's not me. Are you sure? Because yes. you were making fun of that earlier. (laughs) but um yeah so back to panama i mean this song
0: is he saying it's supposed to be panama or it's supposed to be panama
1: i i i do not know wolf of nature you're gonna i know this
0: much i don't care (laughs) (laughs) i was joking earlier when i said panama
1: yeah but jg3 says actually caught the show on time i got into music when i was 10 or so by listening to my dad's cd collection I remember 1984 being one of my early favorites. Still love it to this day. Nice, that's cool, hey. This cool is dad, that's for sure. <laughs> I know. Yeah, th- this is the record that it's the most influential in my life, man. I my life took a complete fork in the road when I heard this, um, in ev- every respect. So, uh, Wolf of oh, Nature yeah. says Brian is correct. What, what like so Panama?
0: The, Panama, Panama. The way that they sing it. You're saying Panama like enema it's kind of how it sounds like you're saying it are we going to nitpick this shit seriously i don't care it doesn't sound as pronounced as he's making it sound but i guess i understand his point
1: i mean wolf of nature i know you're <laughs> correct but i can't be like you know, when you listen to that panama song like <laughs> i can't <laughs> I'm just speaking conversationally
0: is it um, guitar or cutter <laughs> <laughs> it's mostly right? supposed to be cutter but now everyone's still saying it cuz a guitar know. so i'm confused but about. but yeah i mean dude
1: one thing one thing about panama that it's been an interesting point to me look i don't care
0: um is how many the, how many this the, song jack daniel's bottles even though they were this big did you drink we're not going to get into it
1: because it's going to totally derail everything okay believe me it's more than Oh my dude seriously Go ahead. Sorry. So, <laughs> so, um yeah see kale says john is right in the conversationalist sense yes there oh, you go. Really Thank we're you, Kirsten.
0: Austrian, come on, Look at you idiot.
1: So, has Panama ever sounded heavier than it does on the record? I think it has not, and I've never heard a song that's like that. Usually, the album versions, the live versions, are either equivalent to or heavier than their album counterparts. This song, I have never heard it as heavy as it is on the record. It's like a once-in-a-lifetime performance.
0: Well, I've only saw them one time, and it was with Sammy, obviously. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I, get, I can understand what you're saying. There's like an um, – uh, I always like the term immediacy. There's an immediacy yes. to it that jumps off the vinyl, I think. Because um, kind of like live, you can sort of drag it out and stuff. But when yeah. you do that, I think you take away the heaviness of it, almost like what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
1: you do follow me. I I totally do. I totally do, and that's, you know, I mean, to your point about the Sammy stuff. You know, he, you know, he he he. I'm reading comments here. The guys played it on the live Sammy record, but it is a little sped up, and it's it's tuned up a little bit, and it it doesn't have that power. And even seeing the song multiple times on the Roth tours that I saw it doesn't hit as hard i mean it's still a phenomenal song i'm not saying it's it's not as good still a great song it's just not as heavy so and that's always been really interesting to me but um the other thing that's cool to me about this song is that like very very few times in rock do you have a a case where you're singing the chorus but you're also singing the guitar solo and i'm like I, i think most of us Especially those of us that play an instrument, you can. I, I mean, the chorus is dots, it, Panama, you know, whatever. Yeah, but you know, people know that guitar solo, they know the little parts and everything, like, especially yeah. like you know, that's coming and stuff. Yep. You know, I mean, it's that is such a rarity, and it's incredible how, how that came out. I mean, where do you stand on that?
0: Yeah, that, that's that's a master clinic in in. It's hard to call it a guitar solo because I think the beginning is a guitar solo. The end is is like a a musical bridge or something or it's an extra part, whatever. Because it's so musical and it's so like you said, it's so melodic. Um, and you know, it's just just not too many people that can pull that off. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean eddie's one of I, I was thinking of like maybe the solo for like photograph you know you kind of you sort of hum that Want to know that one we were talking about rat earlier like round and round you sort of know the that you know you can kind of yeah weed the weed harmony weed. part but what you're talking about is something different because there's it's kind of just the guitar sort of doing its own new riffs that are not sort of not and I'm not saying noodling in a negative way but yeah but what are the wheedly wee part like you're saying like yeah that that whole little sequence there is just amazing and i yeah. think that adds to what you're saying about the heaviness because when they play it live or when any band plays it live they milk all that crap out for another two three minutes get people singing along whatever this and that get people clapping and this and that kind of thing and yeah and when the immediacy just slams you in the face on, on the studio album and it does what it does it's it, it's pretty special
1: and I the other thing about this one, and again back to your point about Alex Van Halen's drumming, you know his groove sounds so simple, but they can be difficult to recreate. I know that you know we play it in in my cover band, and um, you know our drummer he's a fantastic drummer, but that groove it's just there's something missing. It's something that Alex just he had that swing to it, and for something that sounds so simple, it's difficult to recreate, man. And it, it's it just adds this little layer that you don't really think of because it's just a simple, boom, bah, boom, bah, you know, kind of, you know, four to the, four on the floor type of a just pounding drum
0: beat. Yeah. I, I think it's his hi-hat playing. I mean, I, he, he just, he does. And I'm not I'm horrible at describing, you know, what drums do and stuff, but I just, <laughs> know, I just know when I hear something and I'm like, okay, that's, you know, it's kind of when you see something and you're like, I know what this is. I don't really know how to say it, but it's like, I don't know. There, like you said, there's a swing. There's a, there's a way he plays hi hats. There's a way he does accents, and it's not your standard thing. It does. It definitely gives it a swing. I think that's a that's a good point.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, this song to me is, I I, I mean, it sounds stupid, but it is the gateway Van Halen song. It's got all the hallmarks. If you want to you know, tell people, especially if a David Lee Roth song, like, what is Van Halen? Oh, Van Halen's kick-ass drums and just the guitar is, like, just screaming and, you know, the bass is thumping and you could sing along to it and, you know, you want to rock and it's a total party tune. Like, this is, like, the David Lee Roth Van Halen sound, you know, encapsulated in, you know, three minutes or however long, you know, the song is. Uh <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor poor joseph wren he mistyped harmonics as harmonica in the chat and i was catching crap it's like you don't remember the harmonica solo in panama <laughs> uh, wolf of nature brings up a very good point he says alex van halen is beyond underrated mikey's voice is just as crucial to the overall sound of this band excellent excellent point and uh anybody worth their van halen salt would completely agree with you um, you know the the Michael Anthony harmonies are just absolutely, you know, you you gotta have them. You, you have you just have to have them. It was it was cool that Wolfgang Wolfgang could recreate them on those Roth tours. Um, I, I'm glad I'm glad that he's got his own record out now, so that we all can put that whole uh, it was you know tracks put that crap to bed. We now know it was definitely Wolfgang singing, so that was good.
0: Um, is a good point by discuss metal Joe Alex. A place slightly behind the beat. Okay, that's what I was curious of. I'm always get those mixed up if it's if it's ahead or behind. But yeah, behind I think gives it the sort of the lazier, you know, uh, swing type of a feel to yeah. it.
1: Yeah. Yep. It says Alex plays slightly behind the beat. Usually it's not a good thing, but when this band does it, there's a groove you cannot match. Yeah, completely agree. And and especially you know Eddie Eddie's not usually like chugging and down picking and stuff like that. A lot of and you know we'll talk about this a little bit later. Like in some of the boogie stuff. Eddie's not going along with the drums, like the drums, are, yep. and Eddie's kind of like holding chords out and just, you know, he's playing the slow stuff and it, it man, it just makes it move. It, oh my God. It it just makes it move.
0: So Damn. without getting crucified, what is this song actually about? Cause I have no idea. Is it about a chip? Is it about a car or is it about like the experience of just Supp- driving so or something? So or what?
1: Supposedly it's about a car. Okay, but so Ted, Ted, Ted Templeman says that it could be construed as other things, and you know he he's he's of the opinion that that's one of the you know part of the brilliance of Dave's abilities as a lyricist is that you know you well what's it about? It could it could be this? It could be that? It could be this? Um, so yeah, but it, it, he said it's about a car. So it you know that's but it and- also could be construed as being about a woman obviously
0: and to clarify um i honestly don't know really the answer this you're the van halen guy it did dlr write all of the lyrics oh yeah okay yeah. so he came up with all the song titles all the lyrics yeah okay yeah so
1: all right well let's move on to the next track which uh this one's for you kale uh <laughs> jg3 it's about a gleaming red barchetta <laughs> nice was that before or after the motor law? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so, this is for you, Kale, because I think you and I are going to completely agree on this. Uh, we are now onto one of the single most underrated Van Halen songs ever recorded Top Jimmy. I absolutely love this song, and it never gets talked about. It is just, oh my God, this song rules. I, I re listen to this song several times a week all the time I just think this song kicks ass and it's you know again it, it's it's interesting how this record flows because this is you know now the fourth track so you've got the intro track is a synth track then you've got the poppy keyboard stuff of jump then you got the heavy guitar stuff okay here's the regular Van Halen sound with Panama but now you get into this one which is kind of like a more tempo, but it's like a clean channel kind of jangly in a way it's you know so you've had several different flavors already on this album and you've only gotten technically three full songs into it so you know (laughs) it's fascinating the the amount of stuff that's crammed into this record and i've always loved his use of the ripley guitar on this one and i'm sure if you guys have read about it you've heard that it's uh, it was a prototype guitar where you could pan each string individually and he had it set to where it was like you know everything was panned to either side so each string so when you're listening to it in headphones it sounds like it's like left right left right left right left right left right left and it's like it's ping-ponging in your ears and you don't really notice it unless you're listening for it but man it is such a cool thing once you know what you're listening to and um i just love it the song grooves and i i love how the whole song is like this upbeat like jamming kind of groove brian but then you get to the get to the solo and it's it breaks down to halftime and it's just heavy and dirty and oh my god and i mean this is another example the solos on this record are just eddie was just going for it on every level on this album and top jimmy is just a perfect example of of that
0: yeah the the harmonic intro on this like this is an album that I mean you it begs to be listened to with headphones now I, I was working today and i usually don't work with headphones on so i just kind of just playing it through my phone and i'm like this is not what this album sounds like you know what i mean like this album needs to you need to hear that panning you need to hear you know all those little accents and everything going on in every instrument and uh yeah it seems like on this album there's just a lot more there's just a lot more clean sort of cording and, and and harmonic things going on there's not as much crunch you know the crunch is still there but when it is it's it's i think it stands out a lot more dynamically so i think this is the most dynamic yeah album you know to say excellent word yeah and um i don't know you do you know anything about the story so i i was a, a dj in college and there was a band called the rhythm pigs and is it true that this is about one of the guys who was in that band this song is actually about this other guy
1: it was it was some band that david lee roth would go see i think down in la called top jimmy and the rhythm pigs
0: yeah okay so and there it, was them yeah so we we i was a dj on this overnight show and we played like alternative music and i remember playing a rhythm pigs thing and then like as there's something on the album or on the vinyl or i heard something later about oh this is has to do with you know whatever and i was like, huh? So- <laughs> Yeah,
1: that's that that's that's definitely where it came from and Dave just loved these guys so he's like I'm going to immortalize them in a song. Um I there's more to the story. I I can't I can't remember it off the top of my head but um yeah, it, it's definitely a band that he would he would go see. Um and and to, and to your point, I'm really glad you brought it up. You know, this is a really dynamic album. And I never really thought about I mean, I like I said there's a lot of flavors, but when you think about it, yeah, it goes there's not a ton of that full blast Amp to 11 crunch. I mean you got Panama, Have a Teacher, uh you know House of Pain we will get to. But yeah, that I mean that's a really that's a really good point, man. Uh you know I I just think the guitar work on this one like you don't really you notice like the the harmonic intros or, or intro, excuse me. Um and obviously that breakdown is crazy. But I love the riff because it's, you know, at the at the tail. at the end it a It's this little jingle thing, and it's, God, it is so cool, man. There's so much to listen to on this record, and, and this 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 song, to me, again, it's just, man, it just goes. And it's it's just catchy, and, you know, the choruses are great, and, phew, man. And, you know, to JG3's point, this is, um Michael Anthony's great on this song. Top Jimmy Flutes, you know voice is a little no. roach there but um yeah th- this is this song is just so underrated i i even even when i'm talking to like hardcore van halen fans it does not come up that much which really surprises me because if i was if i was ranking you know van halen songs this would be way high on my list
0: Is a great comment by jg3 <laughs> you don't realize that this is a 30 30- well, Spotify says it's even less than that. It says it's 3310, I think. This is a 34, 35-minute yeah. album. I mean, it? does that blow yeah. your mind? Like, <laughs> like yeah. wait, what? That, that's it? That's all there is? Yeah. It like, seems so damn short. He says it's
1: a heck of a 35 minutes. For a short album, it's got a lot of sound. Yeah, it, it's... Well, I mean, to me, though, that's, you know, like I said earlier, this is like a statement of intent by Eddie Van Halen, and I, I think this record just just shows on every level why Eddie Van Halen was so much more than just a guitar god you know this these songs are fantastic the production sounds great you know he there's like you use the perfect word Brian dyna- there's so much so many dynamics throughout this record and you know like you guys just pointed out it's it's not it's it's not even 35 minutes I mean it just Eddie knew what he was doing on all levels he was he you know people use the word genius and I I would agree I mean it's unbelievable what the guy was able to accomplish and you know this record I mean it's it's famous that he was you know staying up for three days at a time just working on this for months and months and months and pouring over every detail and he was whacked out on you know coke and booze like crazy but I mean he he was bound and determined on this record he's like telling everybody like i'm building my own studio because i know what van halen should be i know what we should sound like i believe in myself i know damn well that i can write the songs i want to write and he also had there's a and you know this man because you've written you know music before There there's a certain freedom you have when you don't give a shit what other people are going to think of it and eddie had that he he did not give a damn he's like i'm gonna write what i want i believe in it and it's gonna kick ass this is what van halen is and he was right he he was right on every level he was right man so all right what are you laughing at <laughs> I, I feel like i'm cutting you off from something <laughs>
0: no, it's, I, well, first of all kale i was laughing at kale we did a top 50 van halen songs for dream theater forums i was trying to like wrap my head around that this was number 27 for me <laughs> all right thanks for a random thought kale <laughs>
1: Yeah, there we go no, TG3, <laughs>
0: this is a good point sometimes i wish artists nowadays wouldn't feel compelled to make 80 minutes of music you know because it feels like albums would be tighter if they weren't more for and we're not talking about dream theater obviously but yeah there are yeah. a lot of bands and songs i hear where it's like man like you know if you cut this six and a half thing down to four you know this five and a half to you know to four and a half like i i i totally agree with that on, on a lot of stuff like this there is no wasted space on any of this album and it is yeah. just like every note counts it all means something and really so we're only we're looking at eight songs if you don't include 1984 right yeah mm-hmm. is that correct i mean that's that's yeah. just that's but it's eight songs so, so i was just thinking of something and i don't know why it, it hit, took some to now to hit me but 1984 and 5150 back to back basically for van halen for let's just say basically for eddie right like i mean like i don't know i can't even fathom that (laughs) like i just kind of like because how much of a peak he was here and then to take it even farther and have someone who could take it farther vocally like sammy did like i don't know man those two albums back to back just hard-pressed to find something that that uh i don't even know what the word is it's running out of relatives yeah right (laughs) well well, prolific, but 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 uh groundbreaking you know and well i mean he an innovative
1: i mean obviously at some point maybe we could do a 5150 deep dive because you know me i can deep dive all their records but um you know real quick point on 5150 and we'll move on but you know the, 5150 you can't really hear roth on it but if you take the vocals out it still sounds like van halen i mean he, obviously people are going to say well why you know why can't this be love and love walks in that they're not you know but a song like 5150 or best of both worlds or summer nights are good enough you, you know roth could have sang over that and you know it, it's you could hear Eddie his writing progressed like he he wrote he, he's got other people in mind and Roth was a genius at kind of putting melody and catchy stuff in spots where there really wasn't like if you take Panama for example Panama sorry there uh sorry there dude um <laughs> uh <laughs> you know it's that riff does not lend itself to a vocal harmony Right. That's not something you can sing over. But when you listen to 5150, the chorus is the, the instrumentation is big and there's there's space for it. like he heard what Sammy could do and was like, OK, I could work with this. So he kind of wrote to Dave's strengths in that era and then he, he wrote to Sammy's strengths in that era. Yeah. And I mean, it's 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 fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. So. um, All right. So moving on to Drop Dead Legs which oddly enough to me i mean i like this song but i i had no idea there was this enormous fan love for it until their final tour in 2015 when they put it in the set list and everyone just went bonkers i was like i didn't i didn't know everybody loved drop dead legs as much as as they do so i mean not much to say on this one except for it's just a damn good tune it's like a slow kind of you know head banging rocker it's it's just a fun song man
0: yeah, kind it's of a, a sleaze, sleazy grinder, you know, yep. sort of thing, you know, and you got the you know, he's got the the great bends going on and stuff, <laughs> yeah. you know, perfectly placed, you know, like, you know, just real kind of sleazy and greasy, you know, like, I don't know if it fits. You could see why Roth came up with the lyrics he did for it, because it fits the music, you know?
1: Yeah. And it's, like I said, it's a very, it, it's a more, it's definitely a more simplistic song, But again, we talk about the, you know, the the multiple flavors on this record. And this is, you know, again, it's simple like jump, but it's in like kind of like a dirty, you know, not bluesy, but almost in that kind of, you know, jammy kind of vein in a way. And to the point where like one of my favorite Van Halen moments is the is the ride out solo on this song. And he's got like one of my it's just this little tiny moment. But for some reason, I've always loved, you know that solo because he, he's just kind of riffing. And I don't remember if this, if that was a first take or not. I I, I thought I read somewhere that it might've been, but uh, don't quote me on that, but it's got this part in the middle. And I think you know what I'm talking about when it just goes like, he just basically dumps the bars like like it's like he's fighting the guitar. It sounds like you're like choking a cat. I'm like, and he's just digging into that guitar and that. And I love it, man. There's so much attitude in it. So. I mean, this is, it's a very simple tune and it's just a fun song. And again, I didn't know there was this huge fan love for it until, you know, everyone went bonkers when it appeared in the set list in 2015.
0: Well, I think if you've got anything other than the hits from this, people are going to go nuts because they've heard all those a million times. But an interesting comment here that agrees with you, somebody named Chris Akin. Roth would have <laughs> been fine on Good Enough. That one sounds like a Roth impression, which I think you said, yeah, that, that definitely sounds like Roth. So thank you, Chris I- Akin.
1: <laughs> Chris again, <laughs> I could see that. I, I I could definitely see that. That's you know, but that but then again, like the Sammy Hagar the Sammy Hagar haters would say, oh that's so st- U.S. Prime Grade A stamp guaranteed. Like that Sammy sucks at lyrics and da 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 Um, so yep. yeah. So JG three, yeah. He's whoa. What about Hop for teacher? He's like, oh wait, I'm forgetting the track listing. Yeah, st- stick with <laughs> stick with us, Jay. And, and stick with me in, in, in particular I I know I know my the only thing I will tell you I, I can definitely be certain that I know about it's Van Halen <laughs> <laughs> like I eat sleep and breathe that band pretty much so um, yeah Drop Dead Legs is I mean it's the it's I think it's the one song on the record that all the songs are great but I think this is the one I'm like yeah it's a cool song there's really not much to this one I you know for me it's it's a cool groove it's a cool song and it, it you know it rocks that's you know you can say. Yep. So, let's flip the vinyl to side 2 and uh let's listen to a Lamborghini revving. So that's everybody knows that the that Panama features Eddie's Lamborghini. But Ted Templeman says in his book that the very beginning of Hot for teacher is actually the Lamborghini as well and that Don Landy recorded a whole bunch of it and specifically worked on getting the Simmons drums to sound like the exhaust and then time it all up so that it could kind of like blend so yeah supposedly supposedly that first rhythmic thing uh is actually the uh, eddie's lamborghini rev or the the tailpipe so i mean god where do we begin with this song this is just i mean this is this the music video for this song is what made me want to want to actually uh made me want to actually play made me like I'm like I gotta do this. I have to do it. Eddie Van Halen walking down that table in the library playing that solo. I was like, yeah, I, I like, you know, I was eight years old. I'm like, life is over. That's what I'm doing. I, I, I have to be Eddie Van Halen. I have to do that. <laughs> like, I mean, it's such a vivid memory to me. But yeah, this is uh, Kale mentioned it earlier. He said, like, you know, wouldn't you say that Hot for Teacher is like what you would describe as quintessential Van Halen? And I, I I'm gonna say no only because. There's some weirdness to this song, and that's one of the reasons this song stands out so much. Is because, you know, both verses, half of it is that you know, I heard you missed us, we're back. It's this goofy, <laughs> you know, I love it classroom love thing, it. and it's fantastic. But it's you know, that's not what Van Halen is known for. I would say. I mean, in the Roth era, you could say, okay, well, it was fun and it was creative and it was interesting, but I, I think, you know, that Panama is more what encapsulates what you're talking about when you when you think of like adjectives people use to describe van halen that having been said i i think if you can't get into hot for teacher you suck and <laughs> i i apologize if i'm offending people by saying that but this song fucking rules <laughs> like, it's just again where do you start like the drums are slamming it's you know alex van halen you know doing the dick tactic tactic it's not a straight double double bass he's doing triplets on you know on the ride while he's doing it and like you said you love it the you know what do you think the teacher's gonna look like this year like no one's ever done something like that it's it's like the you know one break coming up moment on fair warning on steroids and then you combine it with the video and you're just like oh my god it's a total package
0: i'm trying to think too though is there a song that starts guitar with the finger picking or the finger tapping like that going back to eruption I can't think of a song that just starts just with that, which I think makes it kind of unique too. Cause like right away you're like, okay, this is going to be eruption mixed with schools out mixed with fast times, of Ridgemont high, like with, with 14 gallons of testosterone thrown in, like, you know what I mean? I mean, this is just like a a man cave, you know, dream, like, you know, the way that guitar starts out, man, with all that, with all those incredible hammer-ons and stuff.
1: Yeah. Um. I'm gonna go guitar nerd on you here because I know other people will. I get what you're saying, like it's like a tapping solo, like eruption. But there's there's other songs where he does tapping in the intro. Like, I mean, most notably, I'm thinking of like "Women in Love." Like, yeah, but is that more
0: harmonic though?
1: It is, but you know, people are gonna fall out
0: like. Yeah. This is the full-out sound, though, like of of like what you remember from Eruption, which is, I think, what makes it kind of like, I don't want to say a callback, but I do feel in a way it almost is like, hey, remember I can do this, you know? And well, I'm going to start the song like this, you know what I mean? Like,
1: yeah. J G Three says, my opinion is Hot for Teacher is a perfect song, and that is that. You're you're not wrong. I mean, you are not. And it's a perfect video. This is like that like perfect storm of just everything working out. Um you know back to your point brian no i i i totally understand what you're saying and i i don't i don't think there ever really was anything like that and i mean what a way to start a song you got alex's drums you're like what the hell it's like a drum solo then you get eddie coming and doing the stuff that you love the most right and then it it kicks in in that nasty like riff and it's like that boogie shuffle thing you're going holy shit (laughs) like what the hell and uh and then you get those that weird verse and and again david lee roth like just those goofy lyrics that just seem to work like it's it's for as stupid as it sounds it's incredibly intelligently written it it's you know people can relate to it you know and, oh it's it, what a what a goddamn song man what what were your impressions the first time you heard this song
0: um oh my god what do i think the teacher is going to look like this year <laughs> <laughs>
1: i don't feel tardy
0: yeah (laughs) no so like okay how many people have looked up what does the chick from the video look like now (laughs) (laughs) i'm guessing probably you know none of us look that good anymore i'm just curious like man what a what a video like i mean i i'm trying to think because like obviously i played the album before the video came out but i don't know that the song hit until you saw that video hit right. me the same way, you know what i mean like and that's just that's just obvious like okay you can hear it and go that's great that's funny it's Davy." and then you see the video and you're like oh my lord like you know and not just because of the, the girl and it was was super hot but just i don't know it's just funny the way that the whole like you said eddie's like you know doing like and it wasn't quite a chuck berry duck walk but like doing that walk down the, the desks or whatever he was doing with the guitar in his hand this and that and, Yep. And, uh, yeah, right. I, like I said, I just think it's it's just like, it's just Van Halen like on speed almost. Like, I mean, it's taking it, it's taking it all the way to the cliff and almost going over, is that her nowadays?
1: Oh. <laughs> yeah. Sorry <laughs> to cut you off, but um, you asked, she there, there well. she is. Yeah, that was, that was last year. Wow. So that, that's, that's Miss, uh, uh, I think it's sex ed or something like that, or f- phys ed, phys ed. So okay. that's the gym teacher. Right, so nice, yeah. So anyway, yeah,
0: it's, it's it's like it's it's like almost getting cartoony, you know, to the point. But it's still it's tongue and cheek enough that it's funny, and it's so so insanely good musically that you you can't like not take it seriously. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's pushing the envelope about as far as humanly possible for you know almost being corny, but it's but it's still amazing. <laughs>
1: like, well, and it's like no other band could really get away with it. You know van Van halen was known for you know that campiness and you know eddie's shredding and everything and dave doing his thing so i think you know they're the perfect band to do something like that because you're you know (laughs) gg3 is she still teaching (laughs) nice (laughs) oh oh, there's a joke there i'll just leave it alone um But, yeah, I, I, I think when you hear something like that from Van Halen at this time, you're like, oh, ha, 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 David Lee Roth, he's, he's such a character. Whereas if you get something like that out of, you know, like like you brought up, let's say, Rat, and they put this on out of the cellar, you're like, what the hell is that? You know, docking, like, what? Is, well, huh? Like, it just doesn't fit. And it, you're it, Like, to your point, like, it, it does get campy. It does get cheesy. But because it's Van Halen, it doesn't. So,
0: well, you know. and I, I talked before too, like about the the selling of this album, but especially that song. Like, I'm just curious, like, would that song have the same impact if there wasn't a video? I think that's the answer is pretty obvious on that one. <laughs> I, don't know. I mean, it is, but maybe I could be wrong.
1: Well, I think it's a microcosm of your point. The, the song itself is fantastic and would have sold, but the video is like this little mini movie, and I mean. You know it's it's kids in high school for christ's sakes like who at that time could not relate to having the hot teacher and being like oh my god like it just it it played right into their their core audience you know what i mean like right it was just it was just awesome so uh fun fact by the way about the video did you know that uh the actor that played uh mini alex van halen was uh the 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 little bully in the Christmas story.
0: No, I did not know that. Yeah.
1: Yep. I think it was uh I forget I love a Christmas story. I I can't
0: So not Farkas, but the other one. The shorter Yeah, not not one. Scott
1: Farkas. What, what's his name? Like uh 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 Grover Dill, I think Grover Dill. Um okay. Look, look okay. See so, Sarcasmo as holio good to see you man. Um it says DLR said that his least favorite dream theater album is falling into infinity. We haven't seen you in how long? And that's what you're going to, f- that's what you're going to lead with. All right. Um. Yeah. But you know, something I mentioned earlier, Brian, about this being the album being a complete statement of intent by Eddie Van Halen. I think, you know, this song is the perfect example of it. You know, it's the guitar is just off the chain. The arrangement is completely weird. And he's like, screw it. Let's, let's do this goofy, kooky thing. And it, turned out to be not only a classic Van Halen song, but one of the most classic, you know, hard rock songs ever. Who doesn't know hop you know, Hop for Teacher?
0: Well it it, it got a whole second life too when the guitar hero thing was a you know. Yeah. Big deal. Like there was a whole generation of kids that like they didn't never know what the hell Hot for Teacher was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good point. All right. So moving on, we have another synth track, but this is a This is uh, if jump is the sunny side of the street, I'll wait is the side of the street in shadows. So, again, another just straight ahead like synth rocker, I believe the term would be. And um, man, I this is another song I think that is underrated. But I'm glad they threw it in on all the tours. Once Wolf Game got in the band, they were playing. I thought it was a really cool addition. It was kind of like a deep track. I. Again, this is one of those songs I think would have been a bigger hit and more recognized if it was on one of the other records because I think it's catchy, the groove is there, and it's it it's that darker side of Van Halen that you know, like for example, this song would have fit perfectly, I think, on Fair Warning. It's got that you know kind of you know it's it's not very upbeat and it's but man it, it moves so I could easily see this on fair on on Fair Warning so. I love it. I, I know that this. I, I, okay, I want to. I want to. I want to get your opinion on this. Do you think this might be the most divisive song on Nineteen Eighty Four? I think this is the only song that fans might ever really debate as to whether or not they like it. What do you think?
0: I can see that. I. It is absolutely my favorite Van Halen song of all time. I think. I'm going to disagree when you you said something kind of like straight ahead. I think this thing is anything but straight ahead with the, the, the chord voicings, the keyboard sounds he gets. Like, I remember hearing this and like, how the hell do you get your keyboard to, to sound like that and get all these cool sounds out of it? And, and like, how do you help do you get it to fit a Van Halen song? You know what I mean? If <laughs> right. they to sing over it, it's not like, I just, I just never, you know, it's not going to be up there with, you know what we heard on the first album obviously you know in terms of innovation but i had never heard anything like this and i i don't think it gets anywhere near the credit for for what it is and you made a good point though about you know it's the dark side this is the dark alley the dark side of the, the street or whatever um and i don't i was trying to listen to this again a few times like is am i right there is no guitar until you get almost to the chorus basically it sounds like it's all keyboards I don't. Think yeah, it's, it's. Yeah, there is. Yeah. I don't think there's any guitar in there at all, which is very. I don't know that they have another song that's that does that because even all of the keyboard heavy stuff on Fifty One Fifty, the guitar's playing a rhythm almost all the time, at least.
1: I mean, the only thing you could really kind of compare it to, and and this is a weird comparison because I don't I, unless you're like a Van Halen aficionado, um, I think the only one you can really bring up is when the cr- uh, Cradle will rock because that whole song I mean there's the guitar soul in the middle but the rest of it is not guitar it's a Wurlitzer electric piano run through his marshals so in, unless you know what you're that that's what's happening I, I don't think you would know that you know that's what you're listening to so um yeah I mean good point this is this is kind of an anomaly in the Van Halen catalog I think, Man, see, I'm sure, now now you got me going through the whole catalog to try and find out if there's another one, and I can't think of one. So, so this is one of your top Van Halen songs,
0: huh? It's my favorite. Yeah, this this I'd probably put this one one in Mean Streets too. Um, but yeah, I, ah, this is just so unique. There's nothing else in the catalog that sounds. We've talked this before about Dream Theater, and there's ones that just nothing that sounds like it at all. There isn't a song anywhere to me that sounds remotely like this that they've done and uh i don't know i love it it's 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 weird like you said it, it's like dark but then it's like the chorus comes in and you're like humming along and you're kind of feeling good too it's i don't know you're feeling <laughs> good about feeling bad i don't know it sounds dumb but there there's a dichotomy there for sure but man it's a it's just kill i mean roth's melodies on these i don't know so did he write all the vocal melodies too then yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I mean, his vocal melodies on this are, are are off the charts. I love what he does on this one.
1: Well, I'm I'm going to correct what I just said. On the record, the writing credits go to David Lee Roth for this one and and Van Halen. However, do you know who actually should have gotten songwriting credit for "I'll Wait"? Do you know this?
0: I do not know that.
1: Mike McDonald of the oh, from Doobie, Doobie Brothers. Brothers. Yeah. Wow. So so again, I was listening to Ted Teppelman's book and Noel Monk's book today and um basically what happened was Eddie and Alex had, had you know, this key the keyboard riff for all wait sitting around for a while and they were messing with it and, and and they couldn't couldn't come up with anything and David Lee Roth was not into the keyboard stuff. Ted Templeman wasn't either and Ted tells a story that they had had it for a while and Dave went to Ted and said hey do you think Mike McDonald would work on this with me He's like holy crap yeah like let me ask him and they had never met but they got together and Michael McDonald came up with uh, you know helped with the lyrics and obviously the melodies and stuff like that and uh, you know turned it from just kind of like a, a, a jam thing into like a full finished you know piece. And Mike McDonald and Ted Templeman were really tight because they did all all the doobie stuff together. And Ted said that when they went on the road, like they would room together um, and they actually would like hang out socially and all kinds of stuff. They were really good friends and that this really damaged their relationship because when the record came out, Van Halen did not credit Mike McDonald. Mm -hmm. And he was pissed as hell. And Ted said that really damaged their relationship. So yeah, Mike McDonald of the Doobie Brothers is actually the one that's responsible for making all weight what it is. So interesting. So yeah, all kinds of factoids. So I may not be able to pronounce Panama, but I know other stuff.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know the so. guy from the Doobie Brothers had something to do with this.
1: <laughs> Look, man, I've been thinking it was Moog, a Moog keyboard for so. Now we know it's Moog. So for all we know, maybe it is the Doobie Brothers. <laughs>
0: Well, I allegedly play keyboards, and I've, I've said moog for years too. So I, I guess I didn't know either.
1: Yeah, but I'm an idiot. You're not. You actually have a clue on where music's concerned. So <laughs> like. I, apparently not. If I said moog. <laughs> Kale, such good photography. Yep, that's definitely a Rothism added to some Mike McDonald stuff. Um, JG3 says Atomic Punk is one of my favorite Van Halen songs. It's not on this album we're aware, but I'm just <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. I feel it gets underrated a bit like this song. Can anything on the first record really be underrated? I, I mean, Van Halen 1 is, is one of the greatest rock records ever and definitely one of the greatest debut albums of all time. So I don't think anything on there really gets underrated except for maybe Little Dreamer.
0: So. I don't know if I agree with you on that either. <laughs> I don't agree with either of you. I think I think either of them are underrated. Both great songs though. <laughs>
1: JG, three, one more and we'll move on. He said, JG three says I actually said timber in a college vocal class instead of timbre. Yep. Hey, you know what? You know what? Jay, tons of people do that, so don't feel bad. Um, so that's that's actually not as rare as you think. So you're you're safe. All right, so let's move on to a quintessential Van Halen boogie and I mentioned Alex Van Halen's Right Hand Going Nuts earlier, and this is the song that gave him the biggest workout, Girl Gone Bad. Again, I think it's an underrated song. I, 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 think, I think a cool way to listen to 1984 is to take Jump Panama and Hot For Teacher out yep. and listen to what's left, and I think what you're going to find is there are some absolutely kick-ass songs that you don't really think about because those other three are such monoliths. And they are so legendary, not in the, not only in just the Van Halen catalog, but in you know classic rock, in the classic rock catalog. And you know, "Girl Gone Bad" just moves. And again, it's one of those boogies, like you know. And it's man, it's just this song just goes. I, I I love this one, man. Where do you stand on "Girl Gone Bad"?
0: I love the intro on this. It's- Incredible guitar intro. And I love that it's, and then there's like kind of that descending part where it, it almost sounds like the guitar's like laughing. And I was like, it sounds like it's like, it literally sounds like it's giggling the way he's making a thing. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's just weird. Like, I, I don't know where he comes up with this stuff, but yeah, I mean, it, the, 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 the last two songs on here, it's kind of like, man, how did Dave even figure out how to get vocals in these? Cause it's not all that, that easy. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Right. Like, how did you even come, you know, because he probably was like, man, we got these, you know, got these straight ahead kind of singles in and, uh, and then I got to try to figure out something over this. But yeah, I mean, it, like you said, under underrated, I guess, just because it's hard to say underrated. I think it's under, I mean, maybe undervalued is the same thing. The, the, the deal with it is, is the people that are like the true hardcore fans are going to, to gravitate towards these and the ones that like ah, i just bought the album because it had jump and i wanted to her panama and, oh, and then i had a for teacher i guarantee you as soon as i'll wait is done <laughs> they 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 took the needle off the album you know probably, <laughs> i mean literally probably two million people that bought the album did that which is fine i mean they, they sold an extra two million albums but let's just be let's be real here let's be honest you know there wasn't 10 million diehard hardcore van halen fans that listen to this front you know that's just not how people consume music back then especially
1: yeah no i totally agree it's it's that's an interesting point to think about you know if man were people pissed off after hearing all wait i wonder if they're they were like okay well we got 1984 and jump that's enough keyboards then they get another one like god damn it like <laughs> especially after hot for teacher when you've just gotten your face melted i man like that's that's a good point. I, I bet that would be the reaction. Like I really wish I could be there when stuff like this go like could have been there back in nineteen eighty four to to talk about this record with fans and see you know, see what their reaction really was. Because Yeah, um,
0: I, I was too young to probably you know, like I said, I was only sixteen at the time. Well I still I guess when this came out I was still actually fifteen, but but uh I I don't yeah, I don't know if there was I'm sure there had to be a pretty decent amount of pushback on Jump, like you're saying before,
1: and yet it was their only number one hit, man. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, "Girl Gone Bad" is like one of those songs that never gets talked about, and yet it's, you know, I always thought it was cool that they teased it at the U.S. Festival. They had that, that jam on it, like, you know, I, I, I haven't ironically watched. The ironically, I haven't watched the US Festival that many times, and I don't remember if it was. I think it was part of his guitar solo, or if they just did a jam because they were also drunk off their, you know, off their asses. That, who knows where they threw it in. But I, I, I remember that they jammed on it, and I have to imagine that as a Van Halen fan, if they're doing that, you're like, oh, this rocks. You know, it's just kind of cool. And yet, you didn't know you were hearing part of the new record at that time. You know, they were in the studio working on 1984 at the time of the US Festival. So, um yeah this, this this song is just god this song moves you know this is one of those songs you know you've got top jimmy you've got hot for teacher and you've got this one that they just absolutely kick your ass in terms of like tempo and the you know alex van Halen again the right he, he's not just you know halftime in the hi-hat with the you know he's like you know kind of a normal hard rock band the guitar would be doing gin, 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 that kind of thing but alex takes that over on this record with his right hand and the hi-hat so your earlier point about his hi-hat work is is very astute and i think it's really really on display uh you know on on this record all right look jg three, you were, you tuned in a little bit late he says ride the lightning was another big album that came out that year yeah brian went through a list of like 12 bangers dude like when you get a second when we're done Go back and listen to the beginning. Like you wouldn't believe all the stuff that
0: came out. Like, you know, that, you, oh, man, you know, that, you'll see it on there, too.
1: Yep. Uh, Cam McLeish says, was it actually the US Festival? I always thought it was said as the US Festival, like the United States Festival. <laughs> no. no, he's not You're wrong. Really stuff now. No, I've 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 heard people I've had I, I've I've heard people say that. No, it's it, it is the US Festival. OK, like like us, like me and you us. So, yeah, that is that is correct. So all right so to close the record brian eddie van halen goes back to the well the 1976 well all the way back to the gene simmons demos for a reworked version of house of pain which to me has one of the nastiest never talked about van halen riffs ever that, that absolutely rules I, I love House of Pain. I mean, to me, it, it it sounds like an unfinished song. There's something weird about it that feels unfinished, but I still love it. it. It's just, it's it's wonky. It's a cool, it's a really cool ending to a really cool album. You know what I mean? I, it's, I love it. What, what do you, what do you think about, what do you think about House of Pain?
0: I did not know the history of, of behind that, so thanks for sharing that. Uh, this really reminds me of, uh, fair warning big time
1: yes i could hear that
0: yeah i mean it's that dirty grimy chunky you know back alley you know mean streets dirty movies you know unchained sound i, you know, I, I don't know maybe unchained a little more upbeat but but yeah it I, to me this, this unfinished i think is a good word it it sounds like cuz some some of the stuff on fair warning's a little bit wonky too you know you get some weird little things on there too so i think it would fit right at home on there but i did not know that this was originally a a demo off of the uh oh yeah from the uh, original demo they recorded i guess
1: yeah he eddie i mean he went back to the well of the early stuff a lot i mean he had so much material recorded that they i mean i could go through a a huge list of stuff that your legendary van halen songs that were actually recorded years and years before and you know the gene simmons demos god it was i should know this but i'm just gonna say between 10 and 15 songs but it was a lot of stuff that would show up on later records stuff that show up on the first record and then some you know things that are now like fan rarities um but yeah eddie eddie was i mean he went and again van halen nerds know this but if Eddie went back to his prior well of songs all the time for inspiration. Uh, you know, I mean, to the to the point where she's the woman. Let me let me think if I got this right. Uh, there's there's a song that they did that was originally the middle section to Mean Street, and. They ripped it out and did a whole nother middle section and you know um I'll, I'll remember it at some point i know what i'm talking about but um i mean he would take little parts out of songs and just repurpose them into whole new whole new bits you know kind of it, it's basically like you know how we talked about you know hell's kitchen on, on falling into infinity was actually supposed to be the middle part of uh burning my soul i mean there's a there's an example of that in a, in a van halen tune it was i i believe it was she's the woman And uh, that was supposed to be like the middle part uh, of uh, uh, Mean Street. So I'm getting the story convoluted at this point, but Van Halen fans will know what I'm talking about. But yeah, and um, you know, House of Pain was one of the earliest things they ever recorded, and it appeared as the last track on the last Roth record. So, and it is reworked. I mean, that's the one thing is like none of the stuff that he pulled from, at least not much of it, was exactly like it was in 1976 or whatever but um you know a lot a lot of this is intact and one last time man that boogie in the middle that guitar solo holy crap that's just it i I love when they do that because i mean it it reminds me it's kind of ironic in a way um if you go to balance in 1995 which i'm sure you know you're familiar with the song feeling at the end it's it's the last song on balance and it's you know a, a slower tune but for the solo it it it's like a slower tune that picks up with this boogie for a solo and then goes back into the slower part and house of pain does the exact same thing so it's it's always been ironic to me that both eras of the band ended with a song that has the same feature so I've always thought that's that's pretty cool. Uh, so, so House of Pain, again, it, it's, you know, we talked about how the 1984 record has a ton of flavors and House of Pain itself has a ton of flavors. So it, does this song stand out to you at all? Or is this kind of just like, all right, it's two and a half minutes records over, see you
0: later? I think it's a little weird way to end the album, but I think it it probably gets... This is going to sound lame, but... It maybe gets a little more credit than it probably should, just because. Well, it's the last song Roth ever did with them. Basically, you can, if you want to count different kind of truth, fine. But in the heyday, rather, this is the last song he did, and it it seems a little, maybe a little out of place on this album, to me. You know what I mean? It seems like a weird way to end it. Like I don't, I don't know if you if you just kind of just go track by track. You know, you're like, I'm not saying I don't love it. I, I think it's a little strange. And maybe gets a little bit nostalgic. Okay, well, it's like I said, it's the last day of song, and it's an older song they redid. I don't know. It feels a little bit weird. Okay. All that being said, you know, but I. Okay. So I have a I have a question for you. I, I'm okay. totally confused on the the interviews with Wolfgang, where it's like, well, or then Eddie Trunk like, well, you know, there's three million hours of recorded stuff. But then, like, Wolfgang or whoever is like, yeah, but they never did, like, there's really isn't songs there. And But then it's like, well, yeah, there is. I have to go through them. It's like, well, which is it? Are there a bunch of songs, riffs in there that were never used on albums? Or is it just, like, outtakes or, or you know what I mean? Like, because if, if there is all of this hours and hours, then surely it can't all be 17 versions of Jump, right? I mean... I'm just confused about yeah. the whole thing. I don't I don't understand like it feels like there's mixed messages coming on. Is there other stuff or not?
1: So there's there's a ton of like jamming. That I know. So that's just a, Eddie
0: playing by himself or Eddie playing with Alex
1: or all all of it, all of it. I mean the the guy lived in the studio, man. Like that's what he right. did. I mean, he he would just play and hit record and i mean you could even see it in promotional videos like there's one i want to say it's for the Sharone album like mtv like he brought it might have been kurt loader
0: I, I saw he, the kurt loader one yeah
1: yeah well if you look at the walls and stuff if you look behind him you'll see just miles right. of, of these of these tape reels and so there's tons of that but there are also songs that are Finished or at least mostly finished you know sammy always talked about a song called between us two that they were working on at the same time that they were working on um uh human's being for twister and they did it with glenn ballard so there's a bunch of stuff like if you go and and, you know i'm trying there's see i'm on the spot man like i'm all i feel i feel under pressure um but i i know i know there there's a couple songs from the roth era that just were too i i know one was was quoted to be like just too dumb it was just too straight (laughs) ahead and just too straight ahead and heavy metal and like whatever um so that might be in there if they were working on it at that time um you know so there there are a bunch of stuff a bunch of songs like that but i think most of it is ideas and solos and reworked versions of things um, I, but I mean like I said the guy was such a prolific writer I mean one again I, I hate to keep referencing the Ted Templeman book but he said that one of the problems that they had was getting Eddie to stop writing during the making of this record 1984 he wouldn't stop he'd be like oh look at this thing I came up with and Ted had to finally be like look dude like you, you gotta stop like that that was why you know Ted Templeman and Don Landy were like a team for all all of Ted Templeman's career and then they get to this one and and Don is getting all you know messed up on coke and booze with Eddie and they became incredible friends because Don helped them build 5150 and brought the gear in and wired it up and everything and you know Don saw that Eddie was at this creative peak of coming up with ideas and doing all this incredible stuff and instead of telling him hey we got a record to make let's 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 batten down the hatches. Let's focus. He's like, yeah, let's go, man. Right. Yeah, let's work on that. Let's do this. And so that was one of the big sticking points on this record was that Ted was coming from a label perspective because he was a senior vice president at Warner Brothers on top of being, you know, a producer and so he he's worried about budgets and and timeframes as well as being creative. But Don was like getting all whacked out on booze and Coke and just going and he could see what was happening. He's like, Eddie Van Halen is coming up with some absolutely legendary stuff. I'm not, you know, imagine it's a faucet. He's like, I'm not turning the faucet off. I'm not doing it. Like, yeah, this has to continue. So that was where a lot of the headbutting came, came in in terms of the, you know, the creation of this album. So in terms of what's in there, I would have to think that it'll come out at some point, at least some of it, but I don't think it's going to be for quite a while, but I you know, I, I, I think at some point, I mean, it, it has to, doesn't it? I mean, they can't just let it sit there. I mean, at, at some point, Alex is going to sit there, and then he's going to bring in Wolfgang, and they're going to be hearing some stuff going, man, could you imagine we just like put out a box set of Eddie and like, oh because they know that fans like me if you put out like here's outtake 748 like i'll go oh that became little dreamer or ooh, that became you know feels so good i know you ate one too but it was this was recorded in 1974 like people will pay for that especially if it's something really cool i don't think they're just gonna go you know here's a bunch of wanking for six hours give us 500 bucks
0: yeah a couple things so interesting point you made about how he had all these ideas and they wanted him to stop. Like, is it weird that it's only thirty three minutes on the album? Like, <laughs> would not you cram another couple songs on there? You know, um, for one. But yeah, but I, yeah, I don't know. It just it seems like Wolfgang is like, look, I'm doing my own thing here. Like, the amount of time and hours and it would take to to go through all that for, you know, I I don't know. I don't think it's going to be done before I. Unless Alex is really on board with getting it done, wants to get it done, I don't. It might not even happen before he's before he dies. Even I, I don't know.
1: Well, Wolfgang has said many times that, as much as people want to believe that like he's now the caretaker of the Van Halen brand, that it it is Alex, right? And you know when you, when you read the history of Van Halen, I mean Alex was the driving force for a lot of, you know, it it really wasn't until Eddie got really messed up that he decided that he kind of wanted to take over because even when he was all you know whacked out on drugs and booze like I say for 1984 and 5150 and stuff like that you know he took over creatively and all that but Alex really was the one that kept them on the business path and you know he was more focused on that side of things that he was kind of the driving force and you know let's be honest I mean he would Eddie was the little brother, and don't we all if we have big brother kinda inherently you always kind of take a backseat to your big brother? I know I do. I mean, I got a big brother who's, you know, basically your age. So, you know, they, they always had that dynamic. And so it's it's really gonna be at Alex's discretion. And Wolfgang obviously is gonna defer to his uncle because he defers to the history of the band. Yeah. So and he knows that, you know, he's a part of the history of the band but alex is the history of the band so i I think that's where it's going to come from you know (laughs) jg3 he says so there's hope maybe yeah i i don't i i really don't think that we've seen the end of what we're going to get at least you know in terms of van halen recordings i mean it's not going to be anything new obviously but um you know i i just wish they could get their shit together to do like an eddie van halen tribute but Obviously, David Lee Roth is is completely getting in the way of that, which is just
0: staggering so, to me. But I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't want to see, I have no desire to see that. It to me, it just sounds like may, maybe if you know, Sammy and, and everybody got to, like, why can't Sammy just do it without like they don't need Dave? Fucking cares? Like,
1: well, Sammy's already doing it. I mean, he plays a whole bunch of Van Halen stuff yeah, in his, in his know, solo
0: shows. I know.
1: I mean but, I mean wouldn't you want to say That's I mean true. I mean Wolfgang just said it like less than a week ago. He's like look at Foo Fighters like they can get their shit together to do these two massive, you know, tribute concerts to Taylor Hawkins. Like notice how Van Halen can't get one together for Eddie Van Halen.
0: I, I guess my thing on it is it's not going to be like like you're on board as thinking the Pantera thing is cool, right? Oh yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll, It's not going to be like that. Like it's they're not going to play the cool stuff. Like they're not going to play the 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 stuff that like you know the hardcore fans want. I I don't want to see Dave get up there and try to play and talk about love or try or try to sing. I don't know. I just don't have any desire to 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 see that. I I don't know. It's just me because I know he can't sing it anymore. And then if they get a bunch of different people to come up there and sing that stuff that I've heard 8 million times. I don't know. I just don't think it I don't think it I don't know how to word this I, I don't think it really pays tribute to eddie i think it's just a bunch of clowns getting up there like we all know eddie's amazing like maybe figure figure out a, a better way of doing it i guess figure out some way to do it i, I don't know what that entails but
1: so do you, you follow what, do
0: you follow what i'm seeing or no
1: yeah i do but i mean th- think about those two taylor hawkins tribute shows i mean No offense to Taylor Hawkins, so that's not where I'm coming from. So please no one take offense to this. But if you can get two shows of that size together for the drummer of Foo Fighters, how in God's name can you not get something like that together for probably the greatest rock guitarist of all time? I mean, Taylor Hawkins was amazing. Great personality, great stage presence, you know, one half of, you know, Foo Fighters, which is a huge band. Absolutely huge. But you don't see like almost every drummer on the planet walking around being influenced by Taylor Hawkins some way or another. Eddie Van Halen, everybody that's picked up the instrument and plays rock of some form is influenced by Eddie Van Halen in some way or another. And yet they can't get something together. And it's like I, 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 oh, the whole thing is just infuriating to me, man. Like I I get where you're coming from. You don't want to see a bunch of people hacking it up and all that. But it's like. I want to see something, and and you, you know what's one of the main reasons I want to see it, and this is going to be incredibly petty on my part, but David Lee Roth is such a cock, I want to see it happen just to spite that guy. How, like, how big of an ego do you have to have to where a guy like Eddie Van Halen passes away, and you were lucky enough to play with this guy, and yet you're the one being a pissant and a roadblock you know clogging up you know clogging up the works in terms of booking a show that is a tribute to the guy how can you have such an such an incredibly sized ego that you can't put that aside for one or two nights to let the world kiss that guy's ass because let's face it as much as everyone loved dave and everything eddie was the band everyone kissed his ass more than ross anyways
0: well, I, I think mentally there's stuff going on with with Roth. I think he's kind of lost it a while ago. Like um, in
1: 1978?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I'm saying. Like I don't know. I just think he's an old guy that's just like I don't think I don't think he has the energy for something like this and he doesn't he doesn't have the energy and he doesn't have the interest to do it justice and he probably kind of knows that. So I almost I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and applaud him or give him credit for that, but I will in a Better sense. Not, I, I think he honestly does not have the energy to do something like that, and to be a part of it or to know how to take direction to do it. And like, I don't think that Wolfgang wants to orchestrate it, and Alex's personality is is not so that he can be the one to orchestrate it either. If you follow me, so I think that's kind of where the whole problem is. I'm like, going to
1: disagree with you a million percent. Dave doesn't want to get out there on stage and have it. Actually, he's been avoiding it his whole life. The fact that the band was Eddie and not him, not his stupid frog croaking shit ass. That's been absolutely putrid for the last 15 years. Not, you know, his crappy solo career, which was good for one and a half records. Eat em and smile was good. Half of skyscraper. and Then it was trash afterwards. It was proven that he was not the band when every Sammy record went number one. Ross' career went in the toilet while Eddie was still kicking ass. He doesn't want to get up on stage and have that actually, the whole world see it. Even though the whole world already knows it, that's what it's his ego. It's not that he can't do it. What the fuck does he care? Did you hear him on those last couple tours? It sounded like somebody hitting a hitting an animal on the road. It sounded like the noise a, a raccoon makes when you when you run over it. He was terrible. Like he's going to give a shit about sounding terrible for two shows tr- in tribute to Eddie Van Halen? No, it's not all about him. He doesn't want the spotlight off of him, so he's being a cock about it. I'm sorry to be an ass, but especially today, like, man, fuck David Lee Roth. Van Halen's about Eddie Van Halen. Fuck David Lee Roth. At least Sammy Hickar, say what you want about him. I love the guy personally, and you know he he's talked a lot of shit in his book, which maybe he shouldn't have, but at least we get some stories, which is good. It's entertaining, whatever. At least he acknowledges the greatness of Eddie. It's like, yeah, I'd be I'd do a tribute to Eddie anytime. He admitted that Eddie was the center of the damn band. He admitted Eddie's greatness. Dave is always like, no, it's no, not him. It's me. It's about me. It's I'm Diamond Dave. Fuck you, dude. I'm just pissed because we could get I could get one last time to go see a tribute to Eddie, and I'm never gonna fucking get it because David Lee Roth is an asshole, an egotistical piece of
0: shit. But you're kind of proving my point. Is they don't need Dave to do it,
1: but they, they can't honestly, do it without they, him.
0: Why? Why can't they just do, do it with Jimmy? Dude, you can't
1: ignore half of the legacy.
0: Then fucking go get um, I don't know, the dude from Atomic Punks or whoever the hell. I like, get 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 <laughs> get Michael Starr. Yes, I mean seriously, whoever <laughs> to sing the Dave stuff. Like I, honestly, like who cares? I, I don't know that the name. is van halen it's not david lee roth like that their their name is on the album you know his bloodline is is a is now you know selling albums out the wazoo it's an incredible talent he's i just don't think they don't need david lee roth that's why i'm saying like they're farting around hoping roth are are trying to and i don't think that's why i don't think it's going to get done because they're screwing around with roth they don't need to and i don't think alex Can can take it on his own to do unless he just goes to Wolfgang says hey let's just do it without Dave, that's what I think because I don't think Dave needs to be there honestly. He hasn't been in the band since basically whenever I'm I'm not going to count that 2012 piece of crap that you love so much. I mean, you admitted he sucked live anyway. Like he has not been in the band since, dude. He has not been in the band since 1984. Literally, (laughs) as far as I'm concerned, he hasn't done anything good with the band since 1984. So why why make this guy that everyone can't stand be the reason they can't do this? That to me makes no sense. That's all, all I'm right.
1: saying. we have a new cage match and it's me versus you and the album is a different kind of truth. We now have we're doing it.
0: A different kind of turd.
1: Oh, up your ass. Up your ass. Uh, oh my God. You've had and how, I could...
0: you've had how many bottles of that stuff now? <laughs>
1: I had one, you dick. <laughs> oh my god
0: give me van hagar with wolf on guitar yeah nature
1: yeah wolf of nature i wanted to bring that up he says give me van hagar with wolf on guitar dude i i would pay all kinds of money to see that sammy hagar can still bring it even if he's tuned like a half step or a full step down his show is still entertaining as hell he sounds great it's just it I would I would love to see that. I would love it. I mean obviously it's never going to happen, but wow. Wow. Um yeah, dude, I I can't believe you're shitting on a different kind of truth like that. That's we're going to do that. We're going to do it. Me and you for, me, we're going to go seriously. Seriously, you you who kiss the ass of a of a, of a dramatic turn of events, you're going to tell me that you <laughs> oh know God, don't even oh, try.
0: Oh, oh, you know don't what? Don't even try.
1: I am. I am yeah, going. I'm going to count the number of tracks on both those records, and maybe we'll have a Van Halen versus Dream Theater
0: cage match. Oh my God!
1: It'll it'll be me, me, and a different kind of truth versus you and a dramatic turn of events.
0: Yeah, you just got destroyed.
1: My ass, my. Well, ass. Well,
0: we're only two hours into the show. We should probably wrap this up.
1: That's all right. That's all right. It's a Van Halen thing. So, um, yeah, dude, this this was awesome. This was this was a total blast. Thanks for first of all thank you for letting me do this i mean this literally is the most influential record of my life i hated music until i heard this album i mean i'll I'll make this super short if i can my my brother's nine years older than me so when this came out i was eight he was 17 he was babysitting me took me across the street where his best friend lived and he wanted to smoke weed so he put me down in the basement because they had a bumper pool table that i was fascinated with so he knew that you know he could just put me down there to play pool and he could go smoke weed well they got tied up and everything locked the door so i was stuck in the basement with this big stereo and a bumper pool table and all this cool shit and i got bored playing bumper pool so i was like i'll listen to music so they had this huge system and i picked up this tape and it said van halen 1984 and i went ah van god damn it that's like you know van love big van Beethoven, was my dad listens to i hate it i hate it but i had nothing better to do so i popped it in and like i say the 1984 the intro came on the synth track and I was like, ah, it's just like that Mannheim steamroller stuff dad listens to, whatever. Then the rift to jump comes in. I was like, what? And the drums come in. I'm like, what the hell is this? Then the guitar solo hit. And I was like, What is Oh, my God. What is that? What is that? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Then when Panama hit, my head just exploded. And I, so I went through the tape a number of times to the point where I wasn't knocking on the door to get out like I was a couple hours before. Like my brother to come get me. He's like, what the hell are you doing? And I was just completely hooked on Van Halen. And it was, I never, ever looked back. And I would go up in my brother's room when he wasn't around. I root through his tapes, and I found Ultimate Sin by Ozzy, which is still my favorite Ozzy record. He had uh, Shout at the Devil, VOA, and all this stuff. And I mean, and to this day, every time I listen to 1984, I feel like that little kid. I feel just this innocence, and it's just I I have those feelings of how I felt when I heard it the first time. And this this record is a roadmap for me. So I I. Especially a day like today, Brian, like I said, like we said earlier, two hours ago. <laughs> um, Eddie is my hero in, in a number of ways. And, um, you know, to be able to talk about the most influential record in my life on our show was really cool, and I appreciate you letting me do it. So thank you very much.
0: Yeah, it was awesome, man. I, I especially enjoyed looking back and seeing all the albums that came out then and, you know, and kind of almost like you, this was, you know, not necessarily the album, but this was the year that that music really just kind of kicked full gear in for me for just kind of getting my hands on just about everything that I that I could, could find that was, you know, rock metal, whatever, and sort of shaped my taste for, you know, for life, basically. So, yeah, it was awesome, yeah. man. I enjoyed it and um, looking forward to our next show, which is going to be about something we'll figure out. yep so
1: yeah we are we are back here live guys in two weeks it'll be on thursday october 20th at 7 30 p.m eastern standard time at all our usual locations facebook youtube talking into infinity.com and the cms so please jump in the chat with us as you did tonight kljg3 wolf by nature good to see you man good to meet you hopefully you tune in again sometime uh great to see all you guys so Please come hang out with us don't forget we have our fan hangout on friday december 30th we've already got a few people lined up to jump on brian which is really cool so if you want to jump on and co-host the show with us on camera just send an email to talking into infinity at gmail.com and we'd be more than happy to have you guys on so brian i will see you in two weeks and again thank you very much for giving me two hours to pontificate about my favorite band so uh man I know I'll talk to you before then, but I'll see you in two weeks. And in two weeks, since we didn't get to it tonight, we have to give a quick recap of the Do documentary that we saw last week because it is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. So we'll do that to kick off ne- uh, next show on October 20th. So until that time, he is my very good friend, Brian. I am John, and guys, as usual, carpe diem.